listening to a podcast by Radio Canada International. Alexander Lamarche, thank you very much for taking my call. Welcome to Radio Canada International. Thank you so much for having me again. Refugee International pu- published this new report, uh, Burkina Faso and the Sahel's New Frontline. Uh, when I last spoke with you, you were just working on this report. So uh, what was the most surprising thing uh, for you in this? I think it's it's how fast the situation has deteriorated. Um, I was in Burkina in the fall, and they estimated that by the end of the year that there'd be about 330,000 internally displaced. And instead, um, by December 31st, they had reached numbers of 530,000. Now we're already at 613,000 and expected to, to continue to climb. Um, NGOs are estimating that there might be closer to 900,000 by April, but I would be shocked if numbers weren't actually higher than that. Um, so the, the, the level of violence and the, the, the rapid, rapid increase of numbers of internally displaced and, and even people who are forced into, into situations of being asylum seekers or refugees in neighboring countries is astounding. It's, it's the fastest growing crisis in the world. Um, we're seeing massive displacement that just was not expected, especially from a country like Burkina that has enjoyed a relative level of stability and development over its history. It's very interesting. I mean, uh, your report points out that, uh, you know, this was a country that was relatively stable. There was intercommunal peace. Uh, but now uh, there are like, what, 40,000 uh, various armed groups, uh, uh, self-defense groups, jihadist groups, criminal groups operating in Burkina Faso. What happened? Um, I think that, unfortunately, a lot of the communities in the more rural areas of the country had been not not marginalized, but sort of didn't see the same investment as other parts of the country. So they lacked infrastructure, they lacked access to basic service. Um, and as armed groups sort of spilled in from Mali, they were able to exacerbate those sort of underlying tensions um, and, and make people sort of join their cause. Um, also, in... In spreading its violence, I think armed groups have also created a lot of countergroups. So you're seeing a lot of, um, you know, Burkinabe self-defense groups that are trying to just counter the threat posed by armed groups. But then you're also seeing a lot of people who are just taking advantage of this of this situation to commit sort of basic banditry, so looting and stealing. Um, so there's a lot of economic opportunity in in chaos as well. Um, so it's quite un- unfortunate that we've seen it, but it's it's happened very very rapidly. Um, and in 2014, the former president was ousted um, after a series of protests. And in, even that, I think people were excited. The Burkinabe population was excited that they had sort of prospects for, for a more democratic you know, rule of their country. Unfortunately, what they saw instead was that they created a power vacuum and, and, and more instability came in. Um, so they, they really haven't received what they thought they would out of, out of changing to a more democratic system. What has been the response of this uh, new government that came into power after 2014? Your your report, uh, on the one hand, kind of complements them, but on the other hand, makes several recommendations uh, on how to improve their uh, response to this crisis. Yeah, I think the Burkinabe government... Um 
was in a state of disbelief at the beginning of its crisis, thinking that this could not happen to its country, which is an opinion that was shared by people internationally as well. Um, so I think that the government was slow to respond, and at the same time, this is also the first humanitarian crisis of this magnitude that the country has had to deal with. So there's a lot of just new issues that the government's having to deal with that they're not used to having to grapple with. Um, so I think that there's been a, a, a learning curve and, and a rather slow learning curve on some really crucial points. But the government of Burkina should still be seen as an ally, and there's opportunity to continue to improve its response. But there are some pretty significant sort of missteps from the government. The government passed a law that prohibited all um, all contact with armed groups. But what that has meant is while they've done that partially to decrease the likelihood that its own population would be recruited to armed groups, it has also limited the ability of humanitarian groups from negotiating access with these armed groups to be able to access populations who are in desperate need of assistance. So there's there's good intentions sometimes that just doesn't quite pan out. So there needs to be sort of a, a more a more robust response from the government that takes into consideration humanitarian principles that better understands how humanitarian organizations run and what what goes into providing a thorough uh, humanitarian response to these needs. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to a podcast by Radio Canada International. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to us by email. Our email address is english at rcinet.ca. And if you speak French, Spanish, Arabic, or Mandarin, make sure to check our other podcasts on rcinet.ca. You can also download them on Apple, Google, or Android podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also sign up for our cyber magazine to receive a daily selection of stories from Radio Canada International and Eye on the Arctic. That's our circumpolar news collaboration project with public and private media outlets from around the Arctic region. Now, uh, your report also makes recommendations for the international communities and uh, the NGOs that are operating in uh, Burkina Faso. Um, tell me about that. I think that in terms of donor engagement, international governments need to be engaged very, very simply. Um, for this coming year, the, needs to, the, the UN um, Organization for Humanitarian um, Affairs or Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs has estimated that $295 million is needed to respond to the needs of the population. Um, last year, the, that response was pretty underfunded, and, and donors need to engage in a much more proactive way this year because it's likely that the numbers are going to increase and more money will be needed. So if we can get as much money out the door from the get-go, that'll, that'll make it easier to mitigate some of these circumstances and, and consequences of this conflict. Um, but I think anything needs to be sort of matched on the humanitarian side with a political plan. I think that, that international governments need to be pushing the Burkinabe government to do a better job, coaching it in how to do a better job, um, and incentivizing it to do a better job. Now, of course, the uh, Burkina Faso um, crisis happens in the context of a, a much re uh, wider regional con uh, uh, crisis, including Mali and Niger and the rest of the Sahel region. What is your thinking on how to improve that situation? 
definitely the, the, the prospects for peace for Burkina rely heavily on what happens in the region as a whole. And I think that the, there the major components to addressing the issues in, in the Western Sahel requires people to pressure in a political response to the problem. So a lot of these, a lot of these um, sort of skirmishes that we're seeing sort of have roots in, in long-standing grievances or limited access to, to, to basic services from the government, little representation in the government. Right? There's there's very very concrete grievances that are that are you know addressable, and and the governments of each country have a responsibility to address these. So I think on one hand there needs to be a political plan for Niger, for Mali, and for Burkina to sort of address these grievances that are feeding into the conflict. On the other hand, there needs to be a really, really thorough humanitarian response. And I think that given the the security component of this crisis, everyone is looking at the the security and the military response, thinking about stabilization, thinking about how to pacify armed groups. And while that is important and it's an important piece of the puzzle, it is only a piece of the puzzle. There are others. And I think that there's been you know, way too much attention on the military and a lot of funding on the military side and very, very limited on the humanitarian side and very limited on the political side. It needs to all be done in tandem. Now, uh, of course, Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau uh, just recently, uh, two days ago, had a meeting with the Burkinabe president and uh, his his goal, I, I'm guessing, was uh, to... Uh, drum up support for Canada's seat uh, on the UN Security Council. But what do you see as Canada's role in this? uh, As a Canadian and as a humanitarian worker, what do you want Canada to do uh, in this situation? I think Canada has a responsibility, especially if it's shopping around for Burkina's support. I think that Canada needs to support Burkina. And in that same vein, there's massive Canadian investment in Burkina. I mean, even a, a Canadian mine was attacked in Burkina. So that needs to be taken into consideration as well. I think that Canada has a responsibility and has the possibility to do more. And that, in, that means sort of pushing on the political side, engaging when Mali, you know, engaging in a more meaningful way in the peacekeeping mission, because that has, has dwindled over the last few months. Um, and also just, you know, imp- improving its humanitarian capacities. So the, you know, I- increased engagement from the Canadian side on, on, on humanitarian funds would be would be a, a great move, especially if Canada is expecting something from Burkina. It, it seems a little bit silly that they wouldn't help Burkina out while it needs it, hmm. while the civilians really do need it. Now, so what, what's your, um, the takeaway that you want people who read this report uh to uh, take from it? I think that, but I guess I have maybe two takeaways. First is people need to, to, to realize that this is happening and to stop saying, well, Burkina is so self-sufficient. Well, Burkina is so stable. It isn't anymore. And this is happening at a very, very rapid rate. We're seeing it, you know, take over half, I would say about half the country right now is experiencing violence. It's only a matter of time until that, that spreads further in the country and regionally. And this will have tremendous effects regionally on the economy, on civilian lives. So I think that the the idea of, oh, this could never happen to Burkina, needs to be sort of put to rest for now, and we need to be grappling with the issues at hand. Um, I think that, you know, regionally there needs to be a better approach, and I think that that's what I'm trying to showcase, I'm hoping, in my report, is that, you know, if we'd done a better job in Mali, if we'd done a better job in Niger, some of these consequences would not, would not now be spilling into into Burkina. We need to, to, to deal with that. You know, you mentioned uh, those consequences uh, sp- spilling out from 
uh, Mali and Niger into Burkina Faso. What happens if instability takes over Burkina Faso? Where where does it spill over to next? It'll, it, I mean, it'll likely spill into the coastal countries. You see, we're seeing increasing violence up by the Togo border. It's only a matter of time before it goes into Togo. Um, and, and a lot of these countries, like Burkina, have never witnessed this type of violence. Um, they, they're ill-equipped to be responding to these types of needs. We, we need to be, you know, nipping this in the bud, for lack of a more formal term. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking time to speak with me. That was Alexandra Lamarche of Refugees International. You were listening to a podcast by Radio Canada International. I'm Levon Sevunz. See you next time.